If you have your Bibles today, you can open up with me in the book of Habakkuk. I'll give you an extra minute to find that. That's not really a devotional book, is it? That's not one that you turn to often. There may be few verses that you've memorized from the book of Habakkuk, those of you who are good at memorizing Scripture. Habakkuk chapter 3 is where we're going to take our text today that we read just moments ago, chapter 3, verse 2. Habakkuk says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. I read recently the story of a farmer from a Midwestern state. Now, I'm going to assume it was not Iowa, Benny, but uh, it was a farmer who had no room in his life for Jesus whatsoever. In fact, he had a disdain, even a hatred for the church. And he would work on Sundays, and as the people passed by his farm uh, on their way to worship, he would shake his fist at them and mouth and say things of, of all kinds of derisive things to them, and uh, they would just go on by and say nothing back to him in response. And at the end of the uh, fall harvest, at the end of October, the farmer brought in the, the biggest harvest in the county. And he took out a little ad in the paper and he uh, just said all kinds of unkind and terrible things about the church and church people. And he said this, he said, Faith in God must not mean much if someone like me can prosper. Now, the church took out a little ad in response, just a few words in response to him the following week, in which they said, God doesn't always settle his accounts in October. Habakkuk faced a time in his life in which he was looking for God to settle accounts. He lived in Judah. Judah had been practicing lawlessness, at least as far as God was concerned, for quite some time. They had worshipped idols, committed the sin of idolatry, and There was no real righteousness to be found in the government in the way the country was being run. And Habakkuk looked at all of these things and he said, God, how long will you allow this to go on? How long will you allow this horrible, horrible situation to continue in our nation? And God responds to him with something that surprised the prophet. And we see that in chapter 1, verse 12, because what God says in response, he says, I'm going to take care of this and I am going to bring judgment upon the nation and I am going to change things. And the way I'm going to do it is I'm going to bring the Babylonians down from the north and they are going to conquer you. To which Habakkuk said, what? I mean, what what do you mean by that? There is, these Babylonians, they're, they're more evil than we are. How is there any righteousness in this God that you would take a nation more evil than we And conquer us by them. Now, God made it clear among his prophets that Babylon would have its day. But before Babylon had their day of judgment, God was going to use them as his instrument to bring judgment upon his people, the people of Judah. God says, I'm going to bring the Babylonians. And they're going to come down upon you. And they are going to conquer In response to this, the prophet lifts up this great prayer that we find in chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. It's one of the most beautiful prayers in all of the Bible. There's so much to be learned in this passage of Scripture. It's rich. It's full of all kinds of goodness. But perhaps the greatest 
verses to be found in the chapter are found in the one we're going to look at today and then the one found in verse 17 and following. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior." The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. He says, I don't care what circumstances bring me. I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. The Babylonians are coming and we deserve them and it's going to be bad. But I'm going to rejoice in the Lord because he is my God. He is my strength. Now there's another sermon for another time. But he begins his prayer in chapter 1. And we're going to look specifically in chapter 2. But before we do, I just want us to relate ourselves to, to Habakkuk a little, in a little more personal, a little deeper way this morning. You see, Judah's main sin, their reason they were in such trouble, was primarily because of the sin of idolatry. They had chased after other gods. Their kings had led them to do it, and the people had embraced it, and they had run after other gods. And you know what? Today, that's where our country is as well. We live in what is considered a post-Christian nation. And our nation has run after other gods. People in general run after other gods today. And they're not generally gods made with hands. They don't bow down before wood and stone and iron. They bow down to self, to pleasure. They bow down to money, fame prestige. It's a very self-centered kind of faith because it's a faith in you, a faith in me, a faith in ourselves that we are tempted to. That's where our nation is today. It's where our generation is today. And like Habakkuk, we cry out as we see all of this injustice around us, as the poor are oppressed, the righteous are ridiculed, and God is mocked. We say, God, how long are you going to allow this to go on? How long are you going to allow this sinfulness that we see all around us where you are mocked? How long are you going to allow this to go on? How long are you going to allow the poor to be oppressed? How long are you going to allow the injustices that we see around us all the time? You know, we may not like the answer. Habakkuk didn't like the answer he was given. See, we're in much the same place Habakkuk was, and so much of the time, so many of us in the church are crying out, Lord, how long are you going to allow this to go on? How long are you going to allow this to go on? How long are you going to allow this to go on? And you know what? God's answer may be something we don't want to hear. Now, if that doesn't sober you up, I don't know what can. And what we're left to do is what Habakkuk did, cry out to God in prayer. See, what God, what Habakkuk was doing is he was crying out to God saying, Yes, we deserve this. Yes, we deserve what we have coming. And whatever you decide for us, even if it is the Babylonians, we deserve it. And the Lord has spoken it, and it was going to happen. But he said, in the midst of what you have coming to us, Lord, pour out your mercy as well. Pour out your mercy as we have seen you pour out your mercy before. You see, he says here, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. 
He gives us a model for prayer, how to pray in times like these. You know, we need hope right now, don't we? You know what? A lot of folks are afraid today. They're scared. We see around us terrorist attacks. We see around us an economy that's shaky. We see around us leaders of both sides of the aisle who seem to have no clue and seem more concerned to hold on to power than they do to what's good for the nation. We are in, in a, a time and in a place where we have an unrighteous leadership. And so often Christians are looking for political solutions and legal solutions to spiritual problems. And so as a result of the of that fact, the church has basically abdicated its role in society to be the salt and the light, to bring what we really need, which is a spiritual renewal and revival. See, Habakkuk said, we need spiritual renewal here. We need a revival. We need your mercy. We need you to pour out a revival upon us right now, God, in the midst of this suffering that we are soon to endure. And let me tell you, I fear that for us, that we're facing tougher times ahead. Habakkuk gives us a model prayer here to pray in times such as these, which bring to us a great opportunity for hope. He says here, Lord, I've heard your fame. I've heard about you, Lord. I've heard about your character. I've heard about your power. And then he begins to rehearse in verses 3 through 15 what the Lord did in the Exodus. And remember in the Exodus, this was God's high point of activity in the life of the children of Israel in the Old Testament. They look back on the Exodus the way we look at the cross. This is where God demonstrated his power. This is where God demonstrated his character in a way unlike anything they had seen before or since. This was a watershed moment for them, the Exodus. And so he goes back and begins to rehearse the Lord's deeds, the Lord's goodness, the Lord's provision, the Lord's power in the midst of the Exodus. He says, Lord, I've heard about you. I've heard about your fame. You know, and not just heard, he's listened. See, there's a difference between hearing and listening. He says, Lord, I've heard, and I've not just heard, I've listened. I've taken it in, and I've meditated upon what you have done. And I know your character because of what you've done in the past. And I know your ability because of what you have done in the past. You are famous for these things. I know these things about you. See, the prophet had heard, listened, pondered, meditated upon God's activity in the past, and it affected him. And it changed the way he saw his present, and it changed the way he hoped for the future. And you know what we need to do? We need to begin with pondering what the Lord has done in the past. Sometimes you need to get your face out of the present and get it into the past. And I'm not talking about happy days here. You know, people say, well, if we could just go back to the way it was in the 50s. You know, let me tell you something. The 50s weren't so good for so, a whole lot of people. I'm going to tell you, if you're a person of color, you don't want to go back to the 50s, do you? You don't want to go back to Jim Crow laws. You don't go back to the way that, that, that kind of society had racism instilled into it. We think we were so righteous long ago. We were not righteous long ago. We had our problems long ago. We need something more than that. We need something God can do, not something we found in ourselves 50 years ago. Let me tell you something. We need to go further than that. We need to look into the past of what God has done. We need to look into the scriptures and see what God has done and where his power has been revealed in the history of the world. You see, we need to go back and look at the Exodus. We need to go back and look at the cross. We need to go back and look at the resurrection. We need to go back and read the book of Acts. We need to see the faith of the people in the scriptures. And then we need to look in our own history, our church history, and see how God has moved. And in the United States, we've seen God move. We see 
God, saw God move in the first great awakening, in the second great awakening, in the, in the revivals of the 1850s and the Fulton Street revivals. We saw God move in the revival movement of the 1950s, and we saw God move in the Jesus movement of the 70s. We've seen blips on the radar, and we've seen God move in massive ways in our nation. In the revivals of the 1850s alone, 10% of the nation came to faith in Christ. That would be the equivalent of 40 million people saved today. You don't think that'll change your country? See, we look at how God has moved in the past and it gives us courage in the present. It gives us hope if we listen, ponder, meditate how God has moved in the past. Habakkuk says here, I have heard, I have listened, I have pondered, I have meditated upon what you have done in the past and what it means. You see, in those activities of the past, I see your character revealed and I see your power, your ability to move among us to change us. Lord, I've seen the way you've moved. I've seen it. Renew them. I stand in awe of your deeds. Renew them in our day. Habakkuk is asking for deliverance again. It's a day of deliverance from idolatry and sin. And it's not something our nation is looking for today. And it's only something the church can call us to today. Evan, put up my slide today. I want you to look at this. This was the front page of the New York Daily after the shootings in California this week. God isn't fixing this. This is where the vast majority of the people of this country are today. They are not looking to God. They are not looking to God to do anything because they do not believe in God. Let me tell you something. If you live under the illusion that most people today have some type of relationship with God, you are wrong. It may be that 70% of our nation or 80% of our nation claim to be Christian. They are not. It is nowhere close to that percentage of people who have a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ and are walking with God. And more and more, our popular culture is pushing a belief in God and a relationship with God or the idea of such to the lunatic fringe. You and I are looked at more and more all the time as lunatics for believing in God, much less believing in Jesus Christ, his son, who died on the cross for your sins and rose from the dead and any kind of personal relationship with him which would change your life and your world. You are thought of as a lunatic more and more by our popular culture for having such beliefs. And our culture is not looking to God. If we think it's going to happen through politics, we're wrong. If we think it's going to happen through an election and the right man being elected to office, you're wrong. Because our culture, our popular culture, our politicians by and large are not looking to God for answers. And let me tell you something, the only way that is going to change is if the church begins to look for their answers from God too. We have to look for answers from our God ourselves. We have to cry out with Habakkuk, God, do in our day what you've done in the past. In this time of the pouring out of your wrath and what we have coming to us, remember mercy. Remember mercy. Habakkuk was getting real and doing business with a living God.
changes things. And he humbled himself before his Lord on behalf of his people. And he prayed, Lord, you're right. We've sinned. We deserve judgment. We have run after idols. and We are far from you. And whatever we have coming, Lord, remember mercy. And do in our day what you've done in the past. Demonstrate your character. Demonstrate your power. Revive your people and save the lost. And that's what happens in revivals. That word revival is not one that's used much today in the church. It's a misunderstood word. What revival is, is when the people of God become concerned about God and the things of God again in a way that they haven't been. And when that happens, people get saved and lives are changed, both within the church and outside the church. And when we've seen true revival come to communities in the past, we've seen whole cultures change, turn completely upside down. And you can go read about it. Read about where the United States was before the first great awakening. They were just about as bad a shape as we are today. You say, that can't be. Our country was founded on faith and on Christ. Let me tell you something. There was very little of that before the first great awakening came. This country was not in good shape at all before the first great awakening. Second great awakening, we needed it just as bad. And we need a new awakening today. You know, we, we look at things that are happening all around us all the time. And it's scary if you allow yourself to live in the moment, depend upon self, and be chained to this world. But if you allow your eyes to look to a power beyond yourself and to a place of security beyond anything you can provide on your own, you'll find in Christ, in God, everything you need and then some. We don't have to live in fear. God has given us a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. A discipline found in him, not us. God has come to change our life and to change our world. And it's only going to change when the people of God become salt and light and cry out to God in the way Habakkuk does here. We have to become a humble people and cry out to him. We have to become a humble people and say, God, we're a mess. And God, in the midst of this mess, we need your mercy. God, in the midst of this mess, we need you to do what you've done in the past. We need you to do it again. We need you to pour out mercy, not give us what we deserve. Give something that we do not deserve. But let me tell you something. We have to be committed ourselves as his people to do and to be what we're praying for. And let me tell you what that means. That means praying. That means believing. That means trusting in Christ to do what he's done in the past again here in our day. Yes. But it means as God begins to move on our life, we have to allow ourselves to be broken and be changed first. It starts in this house, not out there. You see, we pray, Lord, bring mercy upon us. Bring mercy upon us. What does it mean to, to have mercy? What does it mean to show mercy? Mercy is to show compassion, to have a tender affection for somebody, to pardon and to mitigate punishment. Uh, the, one of the best examples of this that I can give you is a story when Napoleon... A woman came to Napoleon one, one day asking for a pardon for her son. And Napoleon told her, he says, your, your son has committed the same grave offense twice. He does not deserve mercy. He deserves 
death. To which the mother replied, I plead for mercy. I plead for mercy. Napoleon again said, but your son deserves death. Sir, the woman cried. It would not be mercy if he deserved it. And mercy is all I ask for. Well, then the emperor said, I will have mercy. And she spared. He spared her son. You see, that's what we're asking from God is mercy. But we have to be a people who show mercy. We have to be a people who love those who hate us. We have to be a people who love those who persecute us. We have to be a people who keep no record of wrong. We have to be a people who forgive. We have to be a people who reach out, embrace, and hold. We have to be a people who would love even those who would seek to kill us. We have to love people, pray for people, and serve people who hate us with the vilest of hate. And I don't care what religion they are, and I don't care where they're from, we're called to love them the same and demonstrate mercy to them. See, this is not an easy thing. We cry out, God, show us mercy. God, revive us. God, do in this day what you did before. It's never an easy thing when God interrupts the status quo. He begins to break things, change things, and it hurts before it gets better. Habakkuk humbled himself before the Lord and he said, Lord, I've heard of you. And I've heard of all the things you've done in the past. I've heard of your great compassion, your wonderful character, and great power. And I ask you to enter into our situation and do it again. And you know what? When the Lord, when God's people humble themselves and pray, what does it say in Chronicles? When we humble ourselves and we pray and we repent of our sins, turn from our wicked ways, we fall on our face and pray and seek the Lord, what does He do? He shows up and He heals our land. And He begins in the house of the Lord. But let me tell you something. That repentance will cost you something. And there is no greater pain in the world than repentance. To give up that sin that you love and to give up the way of living that you've had so that you might have a better way. It seems so good to hold on to what you have and sin is pleasurable for a season, the book of Hebrews says. So we are enticed and we want to hold on. But God says, repent, turn from your wicked ways. If you humble yourself and turn from your wicked ways and turn to me and seek my face, I will do what I've done in the past. I will show up and I will heal your life. I will heal your church and I will heal your land. There's still time and there's still hope. But it doesn't happen through moral majorities and it doesn't happen through protests. It doesn't happen through all kinds of bigotry. It happens when we love people, show mercy, seek the Lord, turn from our sins, and seek our God and His face continually in humility. Now, it's real quiet in here right now. Most people will leave a message like this and think, man, that, that was either crazy or it was really good. But either way, 90% of the people who have either opinion will just walk out here and say, okay, and not give it much thought later. Unless the Lord shows up in your life and you're willing to receive what God is speaking to you today. See, I think one of the greatest problems that we have in the church today is a very hardened heart that most of us have sitting in the pew and standing in the pulpit where we hear the Lord pouring out to us messages of hope and mercy and our heart buffets the message because of the need to repent. You know, I remember when I was a kid and I was a little kid when it happened. I can remember the altars being filled. 
I can remember it. It wasn't because the preaching was any better back then. It wasn't because, you know, these guys had something special that, that we have no, no access to today. It was just simply because the Holy Spirit showed up and people opened their hearts and responded. See, everybody in the church house realized that I'm the one that has the need. Not everybody out there, but I'm the one that has the need to be different and to change. I'm the one that needs to repent. I'm the one that's been living in sin. I'm the one that's been hard-hearted. I'm the one that's not loved the Muslim. I'm the one that's hated the Syrians. I'm the one that has been looking on our political leaders with hate and contempt rather than prayer, mercy, love, and, and seeking their repentance. How many of you have prayed for the repentance of your leaders? How many of you have prayed for the salvation of your political leaders? How many of you have prayed for the salvation of your neighbors? Let me tell you something. This is where the rubber meets the road. When we feel the conviction and know it's for me and not just for everyone out there. And when we get right and we turn to the Lord and we humble ourselves and pray, then God begins to change not only us, but everyone else out there. Because it sets a church and a nation on fire. You know, in every one of those revivals that I mentioned before, it started with just a handful of people. Fewer than in this room. Isn't that an amazing thing? There's a set of revivals called the Haystack Revivals. You can go look it up. It happened several hundred years ago. started with just some college students getting prayer meetings around haystacks. That's what happened. The Wesleyan Revivals of Methodism, which saved England from the same tragic fate of the revolution which happened in France in the 18th century, happened when a small group of people in a group called the Holiness Movement, which began the Methodist Church. Just some guys that got serious about Jesus. And what would the world be like if that Moravian fellow hadn't got a hold of John Wesley on his way to Georgia on that ship across the Atlantic Ocean? John Wesley realized, you know what? I'm going over here to preach the gospel, but I'm not saved myself. And he got saved because he knew the conviction was for him and not just everyone else. He knew he needed to be right with God. And the Holy Spirit was speaking to him. And it was time for him to get right with God before he could get everybody else right. So often we're interested in everybody else getting right. And we ourselves are not right. John Wesley got right himself with God. And then God used John Wesley to help get an entire nation right with God. So what's God speaking to you today? What's God speaking to us today from Habakkuk? You know, I could stand here and I could give you a sermon. We have hope in Jesus. This is not our home. And someday we're all going to be in heaven and it's going to be wonderful. There'll be no more terrorism. Okay, that's great and good. But we live here right now and we have a purpose for being here. And as long as you draw breath, God had a reason for you to draw it. And let me ask you, are you going to make use of the time that's been given you to serve the Lord being salt and light? But in order for you to do so, you've got to get right yourself with God. And if you know you're not right with God, it is time to get right with God. It is time to give up the sin that holds you back. It's time to confess, admit, repent, turn away from, and ask the Lord to keep you in repentance. And it's time to let go of your pride and get right now. It's time to give it up, guys. It's time to give it up. You know, I don't care what your sin is. I don't care what you're holding on to. It's time to give it up. It's time to get right. The time is short. And our God deserves the praise and worship and love and devotion and service from the lips, legs, and arms that he created and gave to you. We live in a nation that is sick. 
We live in a nation that is very sick. We live in a nation where up is down and down is up, and right and left, who knows. The directions and anything that we had which gave us direction have been cast into the wind. We live in a nation now where babies are murdered in the wombs and we just accept it as just a fact of life now. We live in a nation where anybody can marry anybody now and we just accept it as a fact of life or celebrate it. But beyond those things, we live in a nation that is mired in godlessness and idolatry. More folks will watch the NFL today than go to church, and I mean they will worship the NFL today. we got people that are more broken up over what happened in their college football team yesterday than they are for sinners that are lost and going to hell. We watch more TV than we pray. We've surfed the Internet more than we read the Word. We have no interest in God. We just don't. And it's not just those out there. It's, it's people in the church even that are sitting in the pew. Their lives are divided. And really, it would be unfair to God to even say they're divided because he doesn't get 50-50. We live in a sin-sick, broken nation, in a sin-sick and broken body of Christ right now because of a lack of repentance within the church house. And it's because we as individuals sit in the church week after week after week thinking the messages are for somebody else. And the conviction we feel will go away when we go to lunch and have our chicken fried steak. Let me tell you something. That conviction is for you right now today. If God is moving in your heart, you know it. You know it. You know right now if God's moving in your heart. You know right now if God is convicting you that you have been living a divided loyalty between Christ and idols in your life, whatever they may be. You know if it's for you. And let me tell you something. It's for all of us. That we need to get right with the Lord and we need to be broken and we need to, to hit our knees and we need to be willing to come to the altar. We need to be willing to be humble and get right with God ourselves and then begin to plead the case for the world around us. But it starts with you and it starts with me. We live in a sin-sick world, yes, but we live in a sin-sick church. And it's not that God's people are, are bad. And I'm not bad-mouthing the body of Christ I'm just saying repentance begins in the house of the Lord. It begins with us. And just as the prophets of old were preaching and preaching and preaching, you read Jeremiah and he laments and he cries out and he is broken and he is weeping and he's known as the weeping prophet because he's crying out with so much judgment that is to come and it breaks his heart, breaks his heart, breaks his heart. We in the church house today should be broken hearted for what we see amongst ourselves and we should repent. And we should lead others to repentance and encourage others to repent and pray for others to repent. We should humble ourselves before the Lord and seek His face. I don't care what your sin is. I don't care if it's just because you don't pray and you don't spend time to Word and you ignore the Lord six days a week or if you're embroiled in, in some other type of sin and addiction, whether it be drugs, alcohol, pornography, whatever the case may be. You don't love your wife. You don't love people. Whatever. Whatever it is the Lord's convicting you of today, get right with the Lord today. Just get right. I'm going to close with one more thing. I believe that we are living in a generation that is pivotal. You know, we are living in a time where it's not all doom and gloom, folks. It's a time of great potential, great opportunity, and great hope. 
because Chronicles 7.14 is for our day just as much as it was for the days of the old. Let me tell you something. No matter what this nation has been in its past, and no matter what the church in this country has done in the past, and regardless of how Harwood Terrace has been used in this community in the world in the past, and regardless of how you have or have not been used personally in this world right now, you're drawing breath. And it can be better. And it begins with a people who believe. It begins with a group of people who are just willing to believe God. It begins with just a handful of people who are willing to say, you know, I have heard the report of the Lord and his work. I have heard the stories and I don't believe they're just stories. Habakkuk said, I've heard the stories of the Exodus. I've heard about the plagues and I've heard about the pillar of fire at night and the cloud in the day. And I've heard about the manna from heaven. I've heard about these things and I believe that they can be for me. I believe they can happen here in my day. I believe I can see God move in my day. Let me tell you something. It just requires a people who believe. If we in this room would begin to believe that, God would change this nation with this group of people right here. He's just looking for somebody to believe. Dwight L. Moody was once told, he said, the world has yet to see what God would do with a man who's 100% sold out to him. Dwight L. Moody left the meeting with that man and said, I want to be that man. Some of you never heard of Dwight L. Moody. He's one of the greatest evangelists of the 19th century. Why was he so great? It wasn't because he was a great speaker. It was just simply because he had a commitment to love the Lord and be that man. And he devoted his life to the Lord. He did it. Faith without works is dead. You just sit here and listen to this message and nothing changes. We're just dead people listening to dead sermons then, I guess, that have no effect. I pray it's not dead. You see, if this is a living serving, it it, it falls on hearts that are living and it produces change. It can happen, guys, but it's not going to happen through elections and laws. It happens through you getting right with God and you getting humble before the Lord, praying and seeking His face. You, you are significant. You personally are a child of the King. You personally are filled with the Holy Spirit of the living God. And you personally, because of your faith, can move mountains. You personally, God will work in to will and to act according to His good pleasure, Philippians 2.13. You personally can do all things through Christ who gives you strength, including be content in whatever circumstances the Lord places you in. You personally, God is doing exceedingly and abundantly more than you could ever imagine or ask for. He's doing that in you. He intends that in you. He wants to do that in you. That's who you are if you'll repent of sin and get right before the Lord. David prayed in Psalm 51, created me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation. Uphold me by thy generous spirit, and then I will teach transgressors your ways. The church is not teaching transgressors his ways very often anymore because we have not got the first part of that prayer right. We have not repented, prayed, and asked the Lord to uphold us in our repentance. Are you willing to do that today? Are you willing to get right? Are you willing to pray? Are you willing to fall on the altar and confess sin? 
Are you willing to follow on the altar and pray for others to confess sin? Are you willing to humble yourself and pray and believe this prayer for yourself? And Habakkuk 3.2. See, you can't get to Habakkuk 3.15 and following until you first get to Habakkuk 